Coming up, Richard Levine, co-author of this book on why you need to read it now. Welcome to another edition of Real American Heroes. I'm Oliver North, and our guest today, Richard B. Levine, a dear friend, a fellow colleague of mine on the NSC staff for President Ronald Reagan. And when we served together, Richard was the Director of Policy Development for President Reagan's NSC staff. He later became a Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Technology Transfer and Security Assistance for three Secretaries of the Navy. He's the recipient of two Presidential Letters of Commendation and the Department of the Navy's Distinguished Civilian Service Award. In my humble opinion, he's one of the handful of geniuses with whom I've been blessed to keep company during my near very exciting 76 years on this planet. I want to just let everybody know Richard is one of the principal authors of this book right here. In this must-read, the authors disclose the greatest threat our nation has ever faced. It's called Communist China, America's number one adversary, and what we must do about it now. By the way, it's available for bulk buy discounts at bulkbooks.com, and soon will be available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and independent bookstores nationwide. This is the true story of the greatest threat our nation's ever faced, it's part essential history, part intelligence on the contemporary and near future threats, and part prescription for what we ought to be doing about it. My friend, Richard Levine, joins me to talk about just that. Richard, thank you for making time to be with us today. Ali, it's a pleasure to be with you today on such an important and critical topic for our country. Yeah, and we don't have much time to get it fixed either. That's the big thing. Look, this book describes the People's Republic of China. In your words, China is a multidimensional hard and soft power threat. Tell our audience what that means. Well, multidimensional means all aspects of power. And we could break it down two or three ways. First, hard power. That's the use of force, coercion, and monetary inducements to achieve policy objectives. Soft power is quite different. Soft power involves co-option and attraction of objectives that become mutually shared over time. And there is a third type of power that is emergent with China called sharp power. Sharp power uses uh, or else stratagems to induce another party to take actions that they otherwise would not do. China is mastering all three forms of power. We were the unquestioned master of the first two for decades upon decades. Look, of the, of the threats that are pointed out in this book, which pose the greatest threat to America and which would we best address first? Well, Two different answers to that question. For an immediate threat, President Trump recently took action to begin the process of repatriating to our country or to our allies the production of critical raw ingredients and medicines so that we are not dependent going forward on the People's Republic of China. The larger threat that we face from China is you and I, and I think the vast majority of your listeners believe that man has a dual nature, a spiritual side and a material side, and the two check each other. 
And that is how one leads a virtuous life. China, because it's a communist country, believes solely in a materialistic view of man. The idea of inculcating nirvana on this earth, whereas you and I know that's an impossibility and has led to the death throughout history of hundreds of millions of people. That is the threat they pose in the largest sense. There are many uh, second order threats like the medicines that we must deal with now. But make no mistake, China poses an existential threat to our survival as a free people in a free country. One of the things the president talks a lot about is communist China's role with COVID-19, what he calls the China virus. Do we know how this managed to spread around the world? We really don't have all the facts. What we do know is there was a mandate, a failure to tell the truth in a prompt fashion that could have saved the lives of perhaps hundreds of thousands of people worldwide on the part of the Communist Party of China. It, the information that we have thus far is that while they were piling up supplies of masks and other protective gear and restricting the internal travel of residents from Wuhan to the rest, the large city, to the rest of their country, they were allowing international travel from that major city to the rest of the world. And that kind of propagation of disease is the antithesis of the type of response that was supposed to be enshrined by uh, the UN and all the protocols that exist in these matters. So in fact, communist China has had a less effect from this than anywhere else in the planet. Well, the numbers I've seen is that in terms of cases per million. Now, of course, they could be underestimating their true fatalities in cases by an order of 10, an order of 20. But even so, they're not even in the top 100 of all the countries on the planet uh, in terms of number of fatalities per million of residents. Now, if this were a novel virus that spread at an alarming rate, one would expect great numbers of Chinese to have succumbed to this virus, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Our fatalities seem to be many times what China is reporting. And that's because China was still letting people travel from Wuhan to anywhere else on earth except the rest of China. <laughs> exactly. And also, if China had very early knowledge or even foreknowledge of the spread of the virus, due to an accident or some other act within China. Because they are a police state, they could have sequestered those who were carriers, while at the same time not informing the rest of the world. That could perhaps explain, subject to intelligence findings in the future, how China was able to contain this virus internally. Tell us about the Belt and Road Initiative that they've got. Sounds so noble. They're out there helping build infrastructure all over the place and practically giving it away. At least that's what it seems like. What's really happening? It can be described in three words. Build, loan, seize. China, all throughout Africa and in other places on Earth, including 
uh, other continents, has gone in, somehow co-opted, and this is where soft power and hard power come in, local politicians to agree to extremely large and ambitious infrastructure programs, where most of the actual production of the infrastructure is actually done in factories in China, in most cases. The recipient country, which is a developing country, a less developed country, is subsequently unable to pay back the loans, which may have been, uh, may have been engineered such that non-performance was assured as a tenant of the loan. Then China comes in, and by the way, Russia is doing the same thing, has done so in Venezuela, and seizes national assets. This we cannot allow on a global scale. Is the option to get the rest of the world to cooperate with us, or let's say on something like nuclear power? You, you've got these opportunities for other countries to do low carbon emissions, that's nuclear power, and they're gonna go out there and buy nuclear reactors from either Russia or China or some consortium of the West. What's most likely? Well, right now, what is most likely are the Russian alternative or the Chinese alternative. We have to bind together as free nations using the best technology from all free nations who have produced commercial nuclear power plants and offer a viable alternative to a world that will surely be starved for energy in the next 80 years. The biggest cities on the planet by 2100, many of them will be in Africa. Some of these cities will have more than 80 million people, it is projected. If they don't have ample energy and thus access to clean water, sanitation, and every result of power, then the prospects for these countries and these cities is grim indeed. I'm, one of the things that I look at is, is George Orwell's threat and his remarkable forecast and warning, 1984. And I wrote in the foreword of this book that it was very much likely that our children were gonna grow up falling into this abyss because most of this surveillance technology that exists today in the world, and as far as we can see into the future, includes scientific advancements, computers, artificial intelligence, monitoring systems that are so pervasive, China is going to use that technology to spread their totalitarian ideas to create dominion over the rest of the planet. Are, are any of our allies seeing it the same way? Uh, right now, China is already on that road, Ali. And what we have to stress as a free people is the absolute primacy of the individual over the state. Because China views its citizens as bricks to build the state and the state is never finished. We cannot allow this. All those technologies that you mentioned are means to the end of the submission of the individual. That is not the promise of our nation's founding documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, nor is it the promise for believers from God that we were created as individuals and have our relationship with God as individuals. Is it possible that we're gonna find enough allied partners to put the right kind of pressure on Z 
in the People's Republic of China, the PRC? I think there is great potential to do just that. We have our great relationship with the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom, as their empire withered, created the Commonwealth of Nations, of which India was the first republic to join on the day their constitution came into effect. India has a very similar population to China's, and indeed will soon be the most populous nation on the earth. Right now, India has the third largest economy in the world based on purchasing power parity, what you could buy, what you would pay for a given basket of goods. India may one day have the largest economy on earth. So they are a natural partner, as are the other nations that are the 54 nations that are the members of the Commonwealth of Nations. This is our repost to the Belt and Road Initiative. We could also bring in allies such as Japan, South Korea, Australia, in the future countries such as Indonesia. There is great potential to meet this uh, Chinese challenge. Give me a sense for where we stand. You mentioned the word parity in terms of financial situations, but where's the parity right now with the PRC's military and ours? Well, certainly we have the technological edge. There's no question about that. However, as I write in the book, we have squandered a lot of our resources and we have not protected our intellectual property that undergirds our military. Our old friend, Admiral Dennis Blair, did a phenomenal report some years ago, along with Ambassador Huntsman, which basically stated, if you do the math, that the American economy within a 10 year period lost $2 trillion to intellectual property theft, most of that theft being done by China. Now, what is $2 trillion? A trillion is a million million dollars. So $2 trillion could have made 2 million American families instant millionaires. Mm. That's the level of theft we're dealing with, and it has to stop. So part of this is a legal argument as well as a national security argument as well as an economic argument. There's also the spiritual element to all of this. Religious freedom does not exist in the People's Republic of China. How do we convince them that that's important too? Well, we first have to realize that the people of China are in no way our adversaries or enemies. They are oppressed by the Communist Party of China. Ali, you, I, Robert McFarlane, Admiral John Poindexter, we all worked on ending the evil empire that was the USSR. We have to set as our national objective, in my view, the peaceful end of the Communist Party of China. China existed for 4,000 years before a, a communist junta took over in 1949. This does not have to persist into the future. We want the Chinese people to be free, to be wealthy, and to be happy. 
And this could never happen under a one-party despotic state. How do we counter the argument that what this book, America's Number One Adversary, is, and the argument's going to come from the left here in this country, is Sinophobia or isolationism or ultranationalism on our part. How do we counter that argument? Absolutely. The book is the antithesis of that argument. We argue throughout the book for a coalition of nations to free the people of Hong Kong, to free the people of mainland China from their authoritarian regime, which oppresses minorities, including Muslims, including other religious groups, and which deprives the people of the one thing that makes us human, and that is our individuality. I'm looking forward to uh, lots of people getting this because, and I'll say it right out baldly, this, this is not a political uh, endorsement of any kind. The only presidential candidate running for office this year in the United States of America that can actually implement the 70 recommendations that you guys put into this book, the only person running for president to make it happen isn't Joe Biden, it's Donald Trump. Am I wrong? That is absolutely the case. We have to look at Donald Trump as someone, and everyone has faults. We wouldn't be human if we didn't have them. In fact, that's the promise of God, truly, that every individual has a path that they must pursue. But Donald Trump has shown amazing courage and foresight in recognizing the threat posed by the People's Republic of China. Of all the politicians in Washington, of all the congressmen, of all the senators, Donald Trump led them all in understanding this existential threat which we've now seen unfold due to COVID-19. Richard, it's great to be with you again. It's great to work with you on this project. It's a powerful, important book that the country has got to read. In fact, General Jerry Boykin, who's a dear friend of mine, and you've gotten to know him as the head of special operations and the commander of, of both JSOC and of Delta Force, he says the only way to look after the future of our country is to read this book and take action on November 3rd. Don't miss the opportunity to get this and spread the word this is about America's future. God bless you, Richard. Thank you. God bless you, Ollie. Semper, Semper Fi. Fi. You got it. Thanks, pal.